Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. I am your host, Ben Myers. I didn't mention where I was from, I'm Bullpen Research and Consulting, and I'm here with my host, Mr. Steve Cameron. How's it going, Steve? It is going fantastic. <laughs> Episode number five. Glad to be back. Glad to be back. Well, after a couple uh, cancellations, I think we're on a three-person cancellation uh, streak there with our with our busy uh, uh, industry, uh, maybe about to be slightly less busy over the next uh, little while, but hopefully not. So before we get to our guest, let's uh, talk about our sponsor, this episode. Who do we got this time? Well, this episode is brought to you by Cameron Stevens ah! Mortgage Capital. Who what a great thought? corporation. A leading non-bank lender based out of Toronto, Ontario, with offices in British Columbia and Alberta. Cameron Stevens focuses on mid-market development deals, especially specializing in land, development, construction, term, and bridge financing. CSMC currently has $1.5 billion of assets under management made up of institutional and private capital. If you are interested in information on how to invest, contact scameron at CameronStevens.com. Easy for me to say. Why don't you give him your bio again, Steve? L- listen, uh, a couple updates before we get started. So uh, I uh, would love to report I'm up to about 25 Twitter followers. <laughs> I think I was at 12 last time. This podcast has been great for my Twitter feed. I got to tell you, wow. all the people that follow you now follow me and send me all the hate mail. Yeah, that I, used I, to I, I blocked great. all the haters, so I'm not getting <laughs> much hate as, as I used to. So, yeah. Okay. yeah. okay. So listen, let's get into it. Uh, obviously, we have some. Uh, we're recording on on March 13th. There's some crazy stuff going on in this world. Um, I think we should uh, should touch on it, but we do have a, a fascinating guest today who I'm very excited to introduce to you, um, someone that I've known for a long time. But uh, if you don't know Brad or you have never met Brad Keist, it's my pleasure to uh, to welcome him to the pod. You are in for a real treat. <laughs> so uh, by way of introductions, uh, usually when I'm describing Brad, I use words like eccentric or eclectic or electric, creative. But if his beautiful fiance was here, she would describe him as athletic, strappingly handsome, tall, and brilliant. Correct? (laughs) Brad was born and raised in Aurelia, and he grew up in a home in the middle of the woods with his parents that they built themselves with money that they came across. They never had any debt, so it was built with cash, and we'll touch on that later in this episode. As a good Aurelia kid, and if you've ever been to Aurelia, you know all good kids from Aurelia get their first job at Weber's Hamburgers. At 12 years old, Mr. Brad started his career flipping burgers, and he's never looked back. He saved 50% 50 of everything that he earned there, and he went to the Royal Military College, where he graduated with a degree in computer engineering in 2001. Including school, he spent nine years in the Canadian Navy as a Naval Combat Systems Engineer Officer, and I would like to take this moment to thank you for your service. He did a postgrad diploma of urban land economics and property development from UBC, and his last posting was in Ottawa when he was released. Uh, when, he, when he was released, he teamed up with a friend who was a planner of the city to tie up land and try to do a small condo development. Brad didn't know Steve Cameron at the time, so could not get equity financing for the project, so it did not go anywhere. But he got a job offer at work, uh, off Workopolis at Smart Centers in Toronto, so moved in for that job. 
Spent about four and a half years with Smart Centre developing un- unenclosed Walmart anchored shopping centres across southern Western Ontario. And then it says here he spent a hot second at St. Mary's Cement. Interesting. One of those hot seconds. <laughs> Following that, he went to Osmington, which we were going to get into, uh, spent six and a half years, and then the last two years at Dream. We are very much excited to welcome Mr. Brad Keese to the podcast. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you. Happy to be here, Steve. How was that intro? It was okay. <laughs> better, than, better than my other ones, I think. We, we thank you for coming. Obviously, like you mentioned, it is March uh, the 13th, Friday, March 13th, 2020. There's a lot going on in the world right now. A lot of people are not going anywhere. Uh, I have unfortunately have to shelve a, a uh, wedding that I had to go to, ne- was wanting to go to next weekend and, and uh, um, not doing any handshakes. So we want to maybe want to chat a little bit about that and how, how you think that's going to impact the market. You know, you're, you're saying you've already got an emergency call set up for, for later today. So Brad, maybe give, give us your, your thoughts on what's happening in the world. Yeah. And in, in fact, in lifetime, we just got a notice that the bank again is dropping the interest rate by another 50 bips. So I don't think it's completely unprecedented to see two rate drops in a year, let alone two in six months or a quarter, and this is two in two weeks. So this is obviously a state of emergency, and it's pretty crazy. So what are your thoughts, Brad? Uh, I think, well, everything's dropping so quick, it seems definitely emotionally based. Uh, a lot, my view, a lot of the underlying reasons for it seem, it's, it's been overblown. Uh, I think it's and it's interesting that the that they're dropping the interest rates. I'm not sure how much that'll do in the grand scheme of things to stabilize because it's demand side. Or sorry, supply side, it's not demand side. So dropping the interest rates isn't going to get people back to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep some of the money flowing. Obviously, be interesting to get your thoughts on yeah. definitely the debt markets and the bonds and how everything's being affected there. I'll tell you um, how it's being affected. It's extremely frustrating for us to reprice deals every two weeks. It's it's not sustainable. <laughs> it's not good for business. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we can talk about the the rates and where they're going. Um, but you know. The economy is is obviously in shock, right? So everyone is, I think, being overcautious, and I think in a lot of ways that's the right thing for us to do. I think I'd rather everyone, you know, take a, a precautionary precautionary measures to the extreme rather than you know whatever the opposite of that is to get ahead of this. And I think a lot of it too, from what I've been reading, is to really allow. Uh, the hospitals and uh, the medical professionals to try and at least get some sort of handle on this and give them time to prepare. Flatten the curve. Yeah, if yeah. possible, right? Yeah, and there's obviously been a lot of great progress made already. Like I just saw, I mean, it was two days ago they isolated the virus, and that was uh, joint with Sunnybrook Hospital, McMaster, and U of T. So it's great that that sort of research is happening yeah. here. Uh, and so I think the big thing is to, as you said, just really push out the the peak. And I think all the measures that are being taken definitely precautionary, and it's good that that's happening. Uh, the important thing is to it would be better to overreact and it not be a serious problem than to be lax about it and, and let, then get into trouble. Like let, let it go wildfire. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think we wanted to touch on that before we got started. And, and, you know, things can obviously change really quickly in a matter of a few days. But uh, I guess we, we still wanted to talk about, you know, uh, what's happening at Dream and what happened at your, your previous employer and what's, what's happening in the market. So, um, you know, maybe you can 
give us a little bit of a, and we get, we had your bio, but you know, if you want to add a little, a little color to that and, uh, yeah, maybe, and, and then, and I would also love to, you know, in, in light of, uh, what is going on? Maybe at the end we can circle back and talk about how this coronavirus could or will affect your business. Obviously, being a big public company, you guys are very in tune with what's going on and need to be on top of this. And I'm sure, obviously, you guys are taking a lot of precautionary me- uh, measures. So, <clears throat> interested to see you know how this how this could potentially change the business short term and long term. But yeah, like Ben said, let's um, let's get a bit of. Uh, you know, a bit of Brad in our lives. Tell us uh, sort of how you got here over and above, you know, the, the flipping burgers. Yeah. So, well, yeah, you gave a, a little overview there. Um, yeah, basically got interest in real estate when I was living in Victoria. I bought uh, bought my first place when I was, I think, 22 uh, with the money I'd saved from Weber's. So use that for a down payment. Tell uh, us a bit about Weber's. Hold on. Yeah. Let's just pause here. Everybody <laughs> wants to know. So like Weber's is an institution, Highway 11, you're going up to the cottage. Like what's going on there? Is it is it sustainable? Is it going to be around forever? Is that bridge saved the business? What's up? For sure. Well, it's been there since 1963. Uh, so it's definitely an institution. Uh, the, the bridge was put in, I think, when it opened Thanksgiving weekend, 1983, I believe. They ran out of food. So, Come on. Yeah. Uh, wow. If, before that, if anyone remembers, there was the MTO used to put up this huge green wall on top of the, the, the barricade, and it ran for about a mile each way of the restaurant because so many people were parking on the side of the road and running across. They were worried someone was going to get hit. And so, so – that helped them convince the MTO to let them put a bridge across. And so they got That's part of interesting. the bridge. Yeah. Part Did of the, anyone ever get hit? I don't think so. I hope not. Because yeah. that would be pretty terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the bridge actually came from, you can see it right now, similar sections down by um, Skydome and to Ripley's when you go from the convention center right. to Ripley's. So it's the same. That's where they, they got the, the piece. Uh, I can't imagine if you try to do those sort of approvals today through MTO and just say, hey, want to put a pedestrian bridge over across your highway? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so they could was, do it. It would just take uh, nine and a half years to get approved. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Seven deaths. And yeah. So yeah, Weber's was an awesome, awesome spot to work. Yeah. It was fun. It was great though. Um, I was like grade seven. When I started, and then there was that legal? university. Yeah, I had a social insurance number. Got okay. paid in a check. So okay, good. good for you. Good yeah, for you. So fast forward a couple of years. Yeah, so fast forward a bit. So use that money, bought a place uh, when I lived in Victoria. Bought when the housing market was just starting to take off, and so watching the market seemed interesting. And stumbled across this program online through UBC and Urban Land Economics. So started doing that by correspondence. Uh, the more I learned about real estate development, the more interested I became. And so then I just realized this is what I want to do. Uh, so my last posting, uh, again, I was in Ottawa, I tried to do a project. No one knew us. We couldn't get any financing. We, in hindsight, we had no idea what we were doing. When you say your last posting, yeah. that was your posting? Through the military. Okay. You're still part of the Navy, yeah. So four years at school at RMC and then five years in the fleet. Can I just ask out of curiosity, how much time as uh, as a student at RMC are you spending on your education? Obviously, you have a great degree versus uh, military training. You do a lot of the military training in the summers. And so instead of going back home, uh, most people, like most university students, uh, to work and hang out at home, uh, we were off doing training. Uh, so depending on what your occupation was, depended where you would go in the country. 
Uh, and so it was basically training, preparing you for whatever your occupation was going to be. Uh, you knew what your occupation would be as soon as you, when you were accepted. So right from the time, before I even went to RMC, I knew I was going to be a combat systems engineering officer. Oh, really? Okay. So, Did you apply specifically for that position? Yeah, you apply for you apply for RMC and whatever degree program you want. And at the same time, you have to tell Spe- them what you, specialize, what you want to specialize in. Yeah. Interesting. So at what point did you go on to workopless.com to start yeah. searching for jobs? Uh, it was when I realized that uh, the condo project wasn't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, we we really we didn't even know what we didn't know, uh, or I certainly didn't. Uh, it was it was it was exciting. It was interesting. Uh, we made we did a minor variance. We did a bunch of work uh, towards getting it and paid some money out for architect fees. So I called my tuition to school of hard knocks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then, and then realized, okay, I need to, I need something that's going to bring in some income. Yeah. And, and then started looking on Workopolis because back that's then, did back that's then. what yeah. you do. Yeah. I got I my d- first job on monster.com. That's how, uh, yeah. Exactly. I, I think you're the only other person I've ever met who got a job off on those sites. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah, the, f- the first resume I ever sent out, I got an interview, and the third one I sent out, I got the job. Yeah. So, so. mine, I'd submitted, and then I remember seeing it a couple months later, and it was still hadn't been, like it was still sitting there. The same job was sitting there, but yeah. I had already applied, so I just phoned them and said, "Hey, w- what's up?" And they looked into it. Whoever had been running any the interview process before had left, and so it just sort of stalled. Uh, and so then that reinitiated it. And then I did a, I did a video conference, uh, interview. I was in Ottawa at the time, did a video conference interview. Uh, and they basically said, yeah, we like you, but, um, we're going to, and so we're going to send you some online personality tests. So do those. Wow. So I did that. And then they phoned me and they said, we got your results. They're interesting. Uh, can you come to <laughs> Toronto so we can meet you? Wow. So I came down, uh, all went well sign a contract right there. Nice. Yeah, it's great. Nice. And you immediately started working on commercial deals? Yeah, commercial retail. Uh, so Smart Centers is Walmart's only development partner in the world, I believe. Uh, often, they obviously do a lot of deals, but it's the only time where they're, they're partnered. Uh, it's really interesting uh, place. It's a lot of young people. Uh, it was really, it was a great place to start. Um, you work on a ton of different projects at the same time in all different stages of approvals. So everything from very, very long range, like area plans, uh, where major servicing has to be in place before you can even get an approval, uh, all the way down to like dealing with tenants. And so it was, it was, it was awesome. There is, uh, the culture there I found, Everyone works really hard. Everyone, a lot of people are really young. Uh, so everyone's just grinding uh, long hours, but you just learned a lot, which is good. Uh, the guys I worked for were amazing. Um, gave you enough rope to, to hang yourself and pull you back when they needed to. Uh, and so, and because you're working on projects in so many different stages, you just, each one is totally different. Everything in, all the stuff in Southwest Ontario, you're dealing with a lot of, it's very different than the issues that you deal with here, but the same complexity is there. So uh, a lot of environmental, a lot of soils issues, um, different right-of-way things. But unlike not as many easements or encroachments, because you're sort of, you're just on your own out there, um, but you see a lot. What was the one project or one deal you worked on where you would say you you learned the most at or was the most exciting and you took the most from? 
Uh, I think, well, interestingly, one in Windsor, uh, I was, I think I was in the role three months and we did a kickoff for a rezoning and I ran, we did that at our, our lawyer's office and then driving back, uh, to our office, my boss looked at me, he's like, okay, well, I think you can handle this one. So, uh, go nuts. And I thought, I've never seen anyone do a rezoning, so I don't, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I thought, <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, and then, uh, on that one took, uh, took the advice of, uh, our lawyers, which is often wise counsel. Uh, and we ended up making a bit of a, a gamble and trying to do some stuff without a market study and it got accepted. So we ended up, Ooh, no market study <laughs> <laughs> at the time. Brad I didn't know Ben Myers, <laughs> bullpen consulting. That would never fly in today's day. Only, only residential, only residential. So we uh, ended up getting the zoning three months ahead of schedule and 100000 under budget. Congrats. Yeah, so I like that one. That's great. And what was that project? What was the, uh, what was was the a, application? It was a Walmart in uh, East Windsor. Uh, I think it was actually an expansion. It was going from somewhere around 90000 to 135000 150000 feet. Okay. Is it still there? I assume so. Yeah. I, I'll be honest. I haven't been to Windsor in a while. So. Is Dream Active in Windsor? Uh, we, I believe we have some industrial there. Okay. Uh, no office. Okay. Uh, but I'm pretty sure we have some industrial. Okay. And so you, obviously you learned a lot at Smart Centers. What, what made you think, hey, like I need to try something else or look, look elsewhere? Uh, well, after four and a half years, you, you learn a lot. And I was looking to move up. And the phone rang, and so... Recru- uh, you were recruited. I was recruited, yes. Um, so, as Steve mentioned, uh, I actually went to St. Mary's Cement. Uh, I was there my first day. Uh, my f- as soon as I walked in, walked into a meeting. Uh, I think I was in the meeting for about 20 minutes, and I realized, oh, <laughs> man, this isn't the right spot for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, it just, it moved at a very different pace. Uh, it seemed really interesting to me, the idea of seeking approvals for like the, on the land use side for pits and quarries, uh, just from like, if, if you think someone doesn't want a Walmart in their backyard, they definitely don't want a quarry. I wouldn't just, I just wouldn't think there's that many of them in Ontario that they would, you know. There's quite a few, there's quite a few big producers. Uh, in Ontario. But the other thing too is, and so we talk about how long approvals take, a lightning fast approval in that world is 10 years. Are you serious? Yeah. So wow. Because you have to do two. You have to do your land use planning, so your zoning, but then you also have to go through uh, the Aggregate Resources Act. So you have to get uh, your permit for, uh, for your pit or your quarry, and it depends if it's above water or below water. Um, there's a lot of a lot has to do with, like, obviously noise, dust, vibration, water table issues, um, the trucks rolling in and out. So uh, so it's it's really, it's complex. And so there was a lot that I did at Smart Centers uh, in terms of the community consultation that I think I did fairly well. And so I thought that would be good to bring to this role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, again, I, things moved at a very different speed. And then also, it's always, I realized it's always going to be an aggregate company that happens to own land, not a land company that does aggregate. And so right. if it comes down to yearly budgets and you need a few hundred thousand dollars to do a rezoning or get a quarry approved, and then on the other side, on the upside, someone needs a few hundred thousand dollars for a new loader, he's always going to win. Right. So, mm-hmm. so, so I was yeah. there about 
three. I was actually there about three months. Been to a few cores. I worked uh, concrete two summers, and uh, <laughs> so I was, was, yeah, I was obviously had no idea what's going on. But you just drive in, and then all of a sudden there's this ginormous pit there, and you're just wow, right? Like the, the how deep these things go is just, just kind of shocking, right? So. So phone rang again, uh, and this time it was for Osmington, uh, and so, which is really interesting private real estate company. Uh, they have they've been around, I guess, probably twenty five years now. They're also they were associated with a company called Redcliffe, that is now TrioVest. It's sold to the Mannix family, and so they had some larger development sites. Uh, initially, so Barry Brampton, Ottawa, and then also Union Station. So I wasn't working on Union Station initially. I was brought in for the development sites. All of those, uh, all of those had some serious challenges, uh, be it environmental or market. Um, and while I was there, then ended up sort of moved over onto the Union Station side because it seemed like a really interesting project. Uh, to me, and so got so just, more involved. Yeah, so let, let's get let's dive into that if you're okay with it. So explain to uh, explain to us just how that works because I think it's a bit complicated. You're working for a private uh, real estate firm, private family office, essentially. What's the affiliation with a private group and a major city project? Major. So the building is owned by it's split ownership between the city and the province. Uh, the city, the province, and the feds came together and realized that Union Station needed to be expanded. So they, all three levels of government put money in. And this was in 2015 or earlier? So, no, that, so the deal, there's a, there's a really long story to that. So yeah. it first, the city first took it out uh, to the market because they want a partner on it. They said, okay, this is really complex we don't want to, we need a partner on this. So that was, I believe in 2000, it, wow. it first went out. And 20 so 20 years ago, 20 years ago. So it first went out. Uh, hey, it's almost done now though. <laughs> it's almost done. <laughs> um, and so it first went out, there was a group, there was, there was a lot of bids that came in. And at the time, I believe the union Pearson express was part of all part of one project or what is now union Pearson express. So the, the train to the airport. So, it all went out as one project and they wanted the private sector to do all of the construction, take on, like oversee all of that, take on all the construction risk. And it was going to be a 25 year deal. And so there was a local for bid. And then there was a bid from, with a company from Chicago, um, without going into the long history of it, which is pretty interesting. I know you love doing research you probably find it fascinating, Ben, but, uh, so there was a conditional deal. The conditions were never satisfied. And so it ended up, uh, it sort of died because of deal fatigue. And so, and, and the mayor had changed at that point. So it was scrapped in 2007, that first bid. And they basically updated the plans, took it back out to market. And 2007, 2008, you remember it wasn't the greatest time. So, um, and it predates my time at Osmington, but Osmington ended up winning the bid and instead of doing a 25 year deal, it was a 75 year deal. And wow. the city is and doing what, and what, the base what was building. the bid? So, 75 year partnership with the city of Toronto to right. co own Union Station? No, it's not an ownership, it's a head lease. Okay, and so, so who, who's so the city, so the city and the province still own the building, and then Osmington the has a head lease. lease. Yeah, they own they have the head lease, which allows them all the commercial rights for 
all the the retail, the programming, special events, advertising, and now sponsorship. And they pay into the city a lump sum on an annual basis, and yeah. then everything is yeah. There's a there's a there's a fee. Uh, there's funds that that Osmond has to pay. To, so generally, the the city do base building. Um, the private side does the storefronts, demising walls, common area upgrades. Uh, we'll do all the leasing management, the asset management, um, all the construction management for that overshell work, and then, and then there's a an NOI split. Okay, can you explain that? Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, then Who's, what's, what's the split? I mean, first of all, NOI for everyone listening at home is uh, net operating income, and uh, I assume what you're saying is that the city or the province gets a split on the total the city, income that's coming. Yeah. The city so the city it. gets part and. Osmington gets part, yeah, yeah, yeah. And why the split? Why, if, if Osmington is the head lease, mm-hmm. wouldn't they be paying a, a fixed rate to the city and then they get any overage? No, isn't, but that, also, isn't, isn't that the incentive for right. Osmington? Otherwise, why is well, Osmington? But keep doing in mind, this? the city did all the base building construction, so they did the whole dig down at their cost. At their cost. Well, all three levels of government funded that, and that's one of the most complex projects in North America from an engineering standpoint. I, I got to ask about it. I know that you know we could talk about this for the next two hours, but can you give us uh, the the three minute version of of the complexity of the of the dig? It is so, really cool. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's, this is a a radio show, not a video show. And if we yeah. had visuals, I've seen them. It's it's honestly one of the most fascinating things I've ever. I, it's hard for me to get wrap my head around. Right. But can you try and explain it a bit of it? Yeah. What, so, what they did. So basically, so the building was built. Uh, it opened in 1927. So it's almost 100 years old. It is on the south side of Front Street. Front Street used to be where the water came to, where the lake came to. So everything south of Front is infill. So this is already built on infill. Really? So, and <clears throat> so the building's built on infill. Uh, everything, uh, everything had to go down to bedrock, obviously, all the, the, all the columns. But they were, they were buried. It wasn't space that you needed to use. And so as part of this dig down, what they basically said was, okay, to, to pay for all these upgrades, let's put in some retail to, to help pay off the debt. And we're going to need to dig down and create this retail level. So to do that, you now have to excavate down, I think it was about four meters. And keep in mind, you're below the water table for all this. You have to go down. To do that, To you have to extend the columns because the footings of the columns are way too big. So you have to shrink those so that it makes sense from a retail perspective. To do that, you have to put around each column, you have to put four temporary columns, shore it, cut the column off, dig out everything below Almost. the stub of the column, because now you've got that part of the building being supported by four temporary, temporary columns. columns. And these columns are lined up under the active rail tracks. And so, so you have to cut that out. Uh, very, little, very little risk in all of this. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then you have to put a form in, fill it short, like fill that hole, uh, new, create the new column, and then take the temporary ones away, unweight it. And this whole time you have to keep within a, like a very tight tolerance at track level because obviously you can't have the tracks moving. And, and so I think when they started, they could do one at a time. And that took, the first one would have taken a few weeks. And then there's 447 columns. Wow. Wow. And how involved were you at all? Or were you involved in this aspect of it at all? Or was this no, that was, pre, predated you? Well, predated me, but that's also the city. 
Can I ask a question? You can you can choose not to answer it, but I know that there was a, uh, what's the right word? There were a number of contractors who started but didn't finish this job, and there was a lot of contention between different groups in the city. Do you want to touch on that at all? or, or I, I probably only know as much as you do, uh, just from what I've read in the papers. That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, there, there was... It has a long history. What happened? I mean, I mean, I know it's a complicated project, and I kind of asked the, the, the question a little bit in a convoluted way. But right. I, I mean, it's not that abnormal for a big contractor to start a job like that and not finish, or is it? Or is that? I mean, because it, it was over budget and it was way behind schedule. So, right. Well, um, have you ever renovated your kitchen? I, I can hardly change a light bulb. Right. Brad. <laughs> <laughs> it's just no. Right. So. Of course, a major project like that is probably <laughs> going to go over budget and uh, over schedule. Um, it's it is so complex. Uh, the initial bid, I believe, was won by Vanbots. Vanbots was a local Toronto-based construction company. They were then bought out by Carillion. So Carillion was UK-based. They came over. They bought Vanbots. Um, there seems to be, and I don't know all the details of it, but there's a very it's. Constructions run very differently in the UK than it is from Canada in terms of just the roles and the positions and sort of how the communication flows and responsibilities. And so when, and I, I think this has happened more than once, but when you take a, a UK company and try and insert their normal way of operating now in the Canadian context, things, there's communication issues, there's expectation issues. And so, uh, so and then you add in three levels of government, three levels of government. Uh, and then, Within each level of government, there's multiple divisions or groups that are involved. Uh, it's it's a very it's very complex. It's, mm-hmm. it's probably as complex on the relationship side as it is on the technical engineering, engineering side. side. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. And not to digress, I just I I've heard the story a few times and I find it very compelling and interesting. So I'm sure. Uh, listeners are will have questions, but let's keep going. Um, oh, all I know is whenever I when I get off the go train, I'm still confused every time. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I always come out a different door, and I'm like, I don't know where to go. <laughs> it is a lot different. Like, I grew up running through Union Station. I knew it like the back of my hand. I go down there now, try to get to the ACC. I cannot find my way. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's no Cinnabon smell to follow. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was that was a key. What's yeah. the story with the Cinnabon? Are they going to put one back in there or what? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not involved in the project anymore. Uh, um, yeah, I, I think we've moved. Don't add him, away folks. From, don't add him. It's not his fault. Yeah. <laughs> we've moved away from uh, giant Cinnabons in our lives. I think we're moving towards a little bit more healthy eating, I think. Right. But I did like the Louis C.K. comedy where he said uh, he's the only person that goes to a Cinnabon at the airport he arrived at. <laughs> 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 so I always love that joke. Not you know we'll not talk about Louis C.K. <laughs> anymore on this podcast for, so, for for various reasons. So Osmington, you're working on uh, on the Union Station project. That's some amazing context about the dig, but you are more focused on the retail component and then the uh, execution and yeah. So did the um, did the visioning and strategy for that and. So initially it was the retail, the advertising, and then special events and programming is sort of what was contemplated. And we thought, well, it's a really, it's, it's a, owned by the city. So it's a really important civic site and uh, private, uh, private developer on the, the real estate side who has strong connections to the arts. And so we thought this pairs well, and it makes sense to really enliven this place and, 
like do something really special. Like it was felt of, it was a duty to, to make sure that this building could live up to the potential that it would have. And so knew you would always have all these people going through it. It's like projected to be upwards of 180 million people a year by 2041. Uh, it's, which Sorry, is, say that number again. 180 million people will go through that building a year by 2041. Wow. Which is about the same as Grand Central today. Okay. So it's, it's going to grow a lot. It was around 60 million uh, back in 2011. Okay. So it's, I think um, you may know the stats on this, Ben. I think Go traffic is growing at around 6 to 8% a year. Um, <laughs> and, but our like the that has nothing to do with price per in. square foot, okay? If you know, <laughs> yeah, price land prices, yeah. hard costs, yeah. per square, uh, but they're, they're increasing all the service, right? Like all fifteen minute service on all right. the, the lines, yeah. right? And just the the sheer number of people now living in the suburbs, there, there's no more real capacity on the roads that are coming in, so more people are going to uh, transit. To go transit um, and, until we get into autonomous vehicles, and that's a whole other thing, but. So huge, huge growth in ridership that's coming through there. So what can we do to make this special? And so the, the stated vision was to be one of the most engaging civic experiences in the world. Uh, and so foregrounded all the events and programming. And when we did that, so for instance, Union Summer was the first event that happened, uh, first real big event that happened out there, which is the food market out front. Uh, in the summer, you hit the uh, food market at Union Station. That's courtesy of Mr. Brad Keys. So uh, you can say thank you to him when you see him. Uh, and so, taco yeah. what about the, skate, the skating rink? I mean, I know that wasn't summer, obviously. Was that right. your so initiative as well? Same, same I didn't thing? start that one, but it's the same. It's the team that I worked with. And so same idea, just really enlivening the station, making it top of mind, making it a place where a destination within a destination. Exactly. Uh, this is totally off topic, but I never see any buskers in there. Is that on purpose? So I, I know TTC has different buskers throughout their system, uh, but in here the idea was um, there, there's buskers and then there's buskers, and so there are pop-up performances all the time, but no one's sitting there with the case open uh, panhandling. Yeah. And so the idea was to, to elevate it. Elevate it. Yeah. And without that expectation that you'd have to pay to, to go there. Because it yeah. is it's publicly accessible, it's free events. So. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So did you get another phone call? That's the question. Uh not right away, but yeah. I not before I decided uh that I wanted to leave Osmington, but I did get a call very quickly after I said that I would. Um and so yeah, it wasn't wasn't headhunted per se, but actually one of the one of the guys I worked with at uh, Smart Centers or worked for at Smart Centers actually, uh, he gave me a call and came over and I'd I'd met with uh, I'd met Michael a couple times. Uh, and Michael is who for uh, our listeners? Met, uh, Michael Cooper is the yeah he is the chief responsible officer at Dream. Is that his title? <laughs> that, that is his title. CRO. Chief Responsible Officer. Yeah. Is there a CEO of Dream? Uh, I call him also the CEO. But, but it's not his title. It's business card. It says CRO. I think so. I don't have a copy of the business card, but everything I've seen with his correspondence is yeah. Chief Responsible Officer, which I think is good. It shows, shows ownership, uh, which is really interesting. Like the values that are in the company, that bleed through the company, are very, very much in line with the idea that he is saying I'm responsible for everything that happens here, which is great. Um, like for instance, in our like the values when you we do our annual review, fifty percent is 
of is really on your performance and 50% is on how you lived up to the company values of, which are basically, I bring my best to work every day. I'm, I'm, I communicate well, I'm easy to work with. I'm there to assist others. I'm a good person. Like, which I think when you look at everyone that works there, it definitely like they hire. It resonates for, around the company. Absolutely. Um, there's, there's a lot of different groups, but everyone works really, really well together. There's no, there's no silos. There's no fiefdoms. It's really easy to go across the company and just have a conversation with anyone. It doesn't matter what level they're at. They could have, they could be C-suite or they could be someone very brand new, very junior early in their career. And everyone is eager to, to jump in the quick to respond, want to help out. If they don't know the answer, they don't, they don't say, I don't know and leave it at that. They'll say, they'll actually work to try and help you out. And so it is, it's a really great culture. And you believe that comes from the top down, which is yeah, important. For sure. Yeah. Top down and everyone, yeah. Everyone around the C-suite, uh, <coughs> I find is the same. Yeah. Everyone's really good. So I'm, I'm interested cause I've actually been thinking about that quite a bit. You want uh, to come around here? Drink? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's already openings. Thanks. I'm no, I'm, I, mean, I mean, you know, the mission, vision, and values of our corporation have been around for since the uh, inception, day one, 16 years. And uh, the idea of, of maybe rewriting the, the mission, vision, and values and what that means and being more, more applicable, but not only being more applicable, but maybe um, having it at the front of more conversations. So if we do a town hall or if you're in a board meeting or, you know, have it written somewhere that's you know, uh, easy to see or, or people walk by or high traffic areas. Do you guys have that? And cause you kind of, you mentioned the, the vision or the mission of the company. It's just in every decision you make, it's, it's sort yeah. of front of well, mind. We don't have a, we don't have a stated vision that's written out. It's more, it's more on the value side, uh, for sure. And that's written in as soon as you day one, when you're handed your, your welcome package, all the values are written in there. Uh, when you do, when everyone does their review at the end of the year, you have to fill out a piece for each of the values, uh, which is good. So is that something that you're looking at doing here? Like, would you do that and have, uh, Cheers. like your, <laughs> it's Friday afternoon and we're having a little, uh, cognac, you know, <laughs> nothing, nothing like podcasting with a cognac. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And it's one of our values to have, uh, have the beer cart go around on Friday afternoons too. And it's created great culture here. And I think the people here really look forward to it. And I'm not kidding. Actually, I'm serious. We, we've, we've tried to do a lot of interesting things and keep everybody engaged. And it's, I mean, it's important. Yeah. It's actually integral and it's, you don't have a business without it. And I think now, just given the environment that we're in, where, well, <laughs> the environment that we were in up until, I don't know, 180 hours ago, um, where it's so hard to find people. And so, and it's true. Like if you... Most people, I think you can attract people with money, but they're going to stay. You don't keep them with money. You don't keep them with money. And so it it really, like the number one reason why people leave is because of their boss. And so I think, so if you provide that really good environment and people are engaged and they, they feel really valued and respected and they really like working with the people that are around them, then I think you have a huge, huge advantage there. And there's... There's a wide range of companies in our in our industry, right? Some are some are like that, and some are definitely at the other end. Of the yeah, they're under the spectrum. Yeah. Well, we interview a lot of people, and we've uh, we, we definitely hear about both sides of it. So, 
Um, on that, uh, before we get into some of the big projects you're working at with Dream, um, for for the listeners who don't know Dream or have never heard of Dream, just sort of like an overview. Who is Dream? Yeah, what's Dat? I know you yeah, might reference Dream Dat. And, and what do you do? Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. I got Dream. Or Dam, sorry, it's it's Dam, right? Dat or so Dream Asset Management. Yeah, there's so there, there's Dat and Dam. Uh, so Dream Asset so Dream Management a, and Dream. What's Alternative that? trust. Alternative trust. So Dream is a platform of four publicly traded companies. Okay. Uh, there is a couple of REITs that focus in a certain uh, part of the industry. So there's Office, which is where I work. There's an industrial REIT. There's Dream Alternative Trust that does um, – they do some renewable power. They do infrastructure. They do uh, a lot of – they do some JVs. And then joint ventures. And then there's also Dream Unlimited, uh, which is where Dream Asset Management would be. Um, it owns parts of the other companies. And it also has uh, a lot of our work at West, which is home building. Um, and a lot of communities that we're building in uh, Saskatchewan and Alberta. Uh, we have, we're predominantly... Uh, across Canada, we do have a couple of properties in the U.S., but big landowners in Saskatchewan, some northern Alberta stuff in British Columbia. Um, I believe it is uh, there's Saskatchewan, a lot in Calgary. Um, I don't think there's anything in northern Alberta. No, uh, not on not on the unlimited side. There may be in. And what's the t- what's the trading on the TSX? <laughs> today that's I actually meant what's the tick what's it what's the ticker oh is it uh, uh we're like what we're, I, what I actually meant by that what it was is dream unlimited the the mothership that has traded publicly or, or all, four, tra- all four all four are own? traded okay on their own that's what I meant yes. sorry yes. Well, that wasn't a that wasn't <laughs> a, a setup for anything else <laughs> Listen, markets are up since we started 45 minutes ago, so... That's true. We're, well, closed up almost 10% today. Yeah. Uh, so what are you working on at Dream? What's going on there? What's your title? What do you do? So Who do you work is, with? Give us some... Uh, what are you up to? So title is VP of Innovation and Development, uh, which basically means uh, coming from the development background uh, that I had at Smart Centers and Osmington, I'm actually sitting with the asset management group. And so... Any for our buildings because we're working on existing uh, office properties. For anything that is like a site plan or less onerous, that'll be with my group to lead those projects. And basically, what we're doing is trying to find ways to improve improve the buildings and make them a lot more exciting. So uh, we're working on right downtown. We have a campus of nine heritage buildings that we're working on. They are predominantly built between the 1920s, 1960s. Uh, These are all predominantly right along Bay Street. They're in a nice tight cluster. They are stunning, stunning buildings. We've probably all driven past them a lot of times and may not have even really noticed them. But they're really gorgeous when you look at them, but they need some more investment. And so the company did a large disposition over... three year last three years and are really have kept the buildings that they see a lot of potential with and a lot of value can be added. These are key to the idea and we're reinvesting in them to bring them up to basically a boutique luxury office standard. And so the way I describe it is you're rebuilding the building without tearing the old building down, but essentially 
you are building a new building within the building is I know it that sounds was, a little complicated, well, but is that that is was that fair? that was in one case. There's one building that uh, all the tenants left. That's on Temper- Temperance in Bay, right? Yeah, so What's the address? Three fifty-seven. Three fifty-seven Bay. So that one, that one's really fascinating from a engineering structural standpoint. That was basically rebuilt from the inside. Every floor was taken out and rebuilt. Uh, the floor that it was built in 1922 and the system that they used to build the floor sort of perplexed everyone. Um, our lead construction, uh, guy, Harvey, uh, our VP of construction, he found, he found this system actually described in a textbook called antiquated construction methods. So (laughs) (laughs) actually, actually, wow. Um, I don't even know how he found the textbook, but, um, it, it was, they were really thick in the, there was actually four by fours in the floor instead of rebar, it was four by fours of wood. Uh, there was a sort of not concrete like we know it, but there was sort of like a, a concrete like mixture around it. But wasn't it like a cheaper version that would, that would chip away? In some yeah, it, it, it wasn't like you could, you could chip it away with your finger wow. in a way. Uh, but it was thick. It, it held for a hundred years. So obviously like it was solid construction and there was two layers of sort of this terracotta tile in what is called a flat arch. So it took between our team and our structural engineers, it took a while to even figure out how they built it because you had to figure out how they built it to figure out how to take it apart properly. Uh, and so there was so much work that was done by hand in that building. Um, I forget, I forget that Harvey has the number. It's like thousands of like, Few wheelbarrows, yeah, <laughs> thousands of wheelbarrows for sure. So, some of the selective demo and the abatement was going on while there were still tenants in the building, and so the last tenant moved out uh, middle of February last year, and construction on our work is almost finished. So, and when's when's the reoccupancy? Um, I expect a tenant to take it over later later this year do you know who it is um, or can you say if you know uh we have one tenant uh that's going to take it but um <laughs> why are you smiling like that <laughs> you don't know right okay so you don't know it's good fair enough all right so that's that's 357 and the other one's obviously not as uh in depth but no the other ones are very different they are um they're fully occupied uh for the most part. there's a couple vacancies here and there uh, but in those ones, what we're doing is we're going to upgrade the washrooms, the lobbies, uh, we're improving the facades. So on the facades, they're like, again, these gorgeous heritage facades, repairing them if needed, uh, cause over time need a little bit of work there, some cleaning where it makes sense. And then we're going to light them so that at night they, they shine. They're all clustered together along Bay street. So Looking up base here will look amazing. That'd be really cool. Uh, and then there's also this alleyway system uh, in between. So in behind some of the buildings, there's uh, an alley that the city owns. There's a piece that we own. And then we're actually demolishing a building right now that's going to become part of this alleyway. So this is, uh, if I'm correct, south of Queen, north of Temperance? Correct. Uh, yeah, just on the west side of Richmond, yeah. on the west side of Bay. Yeah, yeah. So you have the New York Fries there, that building? Yeah, South Street Burger. Yeah, is that what it is? Yeah, an, okay, yeah. I think there's New York fries. Yeah, there. actually, our for our office, our last office was 56 Temperance. Right. So we, we, were, we own we, that building. 
Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Maybe it's a different. It's a great little building, actually. I know. I loved it, and has a great restaurant. It has uh, John and Sons. John and Sons. Shout out John and Sons. Honestly, Johnny, if you're listening, love that place. he does a really good business. Great. Yeah. yeah. If you ever oysters. need oysters in your office, we had him come in one time and we had a great quarter. So we did a little party in our uh, cafe. So one of the, the oyster shuckers came in and shocked oysters and we had champagne and uh, caviar and oysters. And uh, it was great. And they do a great job. Um, and so the idea the, of what we're doing here is that for a select set of tenants that want a Bay Street address, they are client facing, so they they really care what their building looks like. But let's say let's say you have a five thousand square feet, thirty employees. Uh, you have an option of going to one of the large towers and maybe be twenty five percent of a floor, or you can come to one of our buildings, have the Bay Street address still, and maybe you take ten percent of the building and have a full floor experience. So. As soon as you come up off the elevator, you don't have to, no one's going looking and trying to figure out where your suite is. Doors open, it's you. And so it's a totally, totally different experience. And the market, there's clearly a lot, well, there's a lot of demand everywhere right now, but we're seeing a lot of demand for our buildings and like these never will be rebuilt type gorgeous Assets, buildings yeah. and the locations are you can't beat the location and what type of businesses are are, are like uh, you know are you, the tech companies or is it service companies like what are you looking at it's all over we have uh, we have some services like even like there's even a couple sort of like chiropractor type uh, tenants that are in there uh, a lot of finance boutique law boutique accounting wealth management uh, some mining companies uh, some engineering services. So it, it, it runs the whole gambit. Um, there's, I think when we, it's going to be interesting to see when we finish all the work and we, we really elevate it, uh, who else will be interested to go there that I'm, I can foresee some people coming out of some of the bigger towers, I think, uh, just because it's, it is a totally different offering and it's really special. What about price points for, for, uh, for lease rates, are you com- are you competitive? Or are you trying to obviously the whole goal here is to bring them up right. to a w- more market price? But are you still cheaper than First Canadian Place, for example? Uh, I think we offer a lot of value for what we have, um, but it is a premium product. So I think people will. It depends how they how they evaluate that. Uh, is the goal to take these buildings to uh, lead status? It's something that we've talked about. There's one. There's one that. We're probably going to do that just to see uh, see how the market responds to it. Um, how difficult ESG is it? Is, Sorry, yeah, continue. ESG, ESG is a really important thing uh, for us, and so we're we're looking at it, making sure that everything that we do, uh, we're weighing it against ESG. Um, the to do obviously to depends on the building. Um, one of the biggest parts of lead is the energy side. And a lot of our buildings were tapped into N-Wave, so that helps. Uh, N-Wave's like a very efficient mm-hmm. system, as you know. Um, and so that helps. There, We have a group that's that's working on the lead side and figuring it out for these buildings. So it's doable. Uh, it just, you just have to make some tweaks to the building. And yeah, probably very complex to take an old building, bring it up to lead status versus obviously build new construction well, anything that you do in an old building is difficult. really tough. Uh, the as-built's from 1922 are hard to find, i.e. non-existent. 
uh, we spend a, you spend a lot of time just understanding what's going on in the building. And like, again, back to your kitchen reno, mm-hmm. uh, you'll make assumptions of what's behind the wall, but when you open it up, you may find something totally different. So yeah. we found some surprises, uh, in the work that we're doing. We just, it was built in a totally different style. Uh, and so you have to, that's what your contingency contingency is for, uh, to work around that. But for the most part, we've been knock on wood, uh, things have been going pretty good. It's awesome. And that's so good. you, you have innovation in your title. So what are you, what are you trying to add, uh, that's uh, innovative, I guess, to some of these, uh, some of these projects, what's the latest like tech or, or, you know, features that are, you know, people are asking for. So it's interesting. The in my role, the innovation isn't necessarily tech based. It's more how we're looking at the buildings, and so for us, uh, especially with what we're doing with the alleyway, the the ground plane public realm becomes a very important part of what we're doing. So, again, making sure everything looks good on the outside, uh, making sure that we have the right retail in there, and especially in the alleyway and the alleyway it's very service oriented right now. It's like, it's purely service and we're going to turn it from that into a really great food and beverage destination. We're going to open up some of the, the sides of the buildings. Uh, That's crazy. Cause it, I know that alleyway, it is pretty dungy. In fact, it's very dark and it's very alley like, so you're going to, you're going to light it and yeah. So we're going to replace the replace, the, like resurface it. Uh, we're going to light it properly. Uh, so there'll be a couple different treatments. We're working through the details right now. Uh, the part that's owned by the city will do, there's city standard, uh, pavers that we have to do there. Uh, it'll probably be something similar to what you'd see on either market street or Scott street. Okay. Uh, and then in the parts that we own, uh, we're looking at a couple different, uh, couple different approaches. Cobblestone is something that looks really good. Sometimes on the functional side, it can be a little tough for mobility and for yes. someone's wearing high heels. Yeah. But it's some like that that feeling, the the same feeling. That's what's it's really gonna be important. awesome. Yeah. 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 We're, I'm is really it just is it, is it just the one stretch between Temperance and Richmond? That yes. outlet? Yeah. 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 So it goes there's the north south one. Yeah. And then there's an east west one. Oh off really? Of that. And then uh, the building at sixty nine Richmond is coming down right now. Okay. Uh, and that will be more alleyway that then goes and it lines up right nicely with the west side of 80 Richmond, uh, which is another building. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I, I love the kind of like the spaces between spaces. I, on my Instagram, I take a lot of, you know, street art photos and I go behind buildings. My wife's like, don't go behind these buildings. You're going to get like mugged and stuff like that. <laughs> your, your Instagram photos. But uh, she said yeah, the size like, of you. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably the last that's target always, to get mugged. You know, that's what I always say. I'm like, well, I mean, if the guy's probably in the market for mugging and he's like, mm, yeah, maybe the next guy. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> the next guy. <laughs> Beautiful. So, um, this has been a good chat. Thank you so much for uh, for doing this. Uh, anything else on uh, Brad Keys that we've missed? Career, personal. Actually, let me uh, let me ask you one question. Um, you are uh, the chair of the board of the directors for MoCA, which is the Museum of Art of uh, Contemporary Arts. Correct. I was at the opening a couple weeks ago. You were. You were You're looking very dashing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's tough, but you know, someone's got to do it. Um, actually. We should post a picture of Mr. Uh, ben Myers and I today. We actually were in the same outfit. Mock I, that was I thought that was great, the uniform. Great pants. I thought that was the podcast <laughs> uniform. Um, no, but it, it was awesome. You guys did a phenomenal job. It's beautiful. If you haven't been there, 
I highly encourage uh, everyone listening to go check it out, but give us a bit of uh, context, rundown, how'd you get involved and what's going on? What's the mission vision there? So when I was working on Union Station, one of my consultants uh, for that project was on the board at the time of MOCA. And when her term was up, she asked if she could put my name forward. Um, so I said yes. So I joined the board about four and a half years ago. Uh, shortly after I joined, I was asked to chair the building committee. Uh, MOCA was moving from, uh, had just vacated space on Queen West and was moving into the new location on Sterling Road. So uh, worked closely with the landlord uh, on that move. It's, uh, it was really interesting. I'd never, certainly never built a museum before. There's a lot of, a lot of special equipment and considerations that go into it, and it's the it's max flexibility. Uh, it was interesting just working with consultants who were trying to sort of hardwire everything in and trying to explain to them, no, 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 like walls are going to come down and move every three months, uh, and so it's 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 a totally totally different beast. Uh, did you build the building, or was, did you did you no, take over we, an old building? It was an old, it looks like an old brick and beam. Yeah, it was the style. tallest building in Canada when it was built <laughs> in 1919. Is it four stories? It's ten. Yeah. Oh, was it ten? Yeah, it was a vertical. Mocha's factory. only four. The the Mocha, four? Yeah, Mocha's the bottom half of the building. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, the so yeah, ten stories. It was a vertical factory. Uh, so it's, it's had a huge history. There was a lot of aluminum sort of, uh, fabrication that was done there. Uh, at one point, I think in World War II, it was a munitions factory. Uh, there's a long history with like, even all the, the houses that were around there, that's where the, all the factory workers lived and they just walked to work, uh, a little different than most factories are now. Uh, it was, so the, the landlord bought it from, uh, Alcan Rio Tinto, and it was quite a contaminated site, as I understand. So <clears throat> did a bunch of work. Um, the landlord recently sold the surrounding lands to Heinz and Marlin Spring. So very excited to see their developments get going. So part commercial, part residential. Um, but Mocha has been around since the mid-90s. It started as uh, a small gallery up in North York, it was the Art Gallery in North York. From there, it moved down to Queen West, where it was for, I believe, 10-plus years. And then they found the, the new home. It opened about 18 months ago uh, on Sterling Road. And we're just we're, we're ramping up. It's been, it's been a really interesting ride. I became chair of the board in June. Not a big deal, not a big deal. That's been an interesting challenge. It's like another full-time job. 100%, yeah. So what, what's, uh, what's the biggest challenge? Is it uh, raising money? Is it managing volunteers? Is it looking after the programming or obviously maybe a combination of all of the above? So the programming programming, and looking after the volunteers, that's all done by management and staff. Uh, okay. For us, we're really just there to make sure that we uh, are approving the strategy and hiring the CEO. Um, the... And donations. Uh, we have a campaign cabinet that is in charge of that. Uh, it's been, it's a really tough time for cultural institutions in terms of government funding. A lot of that has been cut back. We've lost a significant amount of funding for that. So it's really, um, What's really your split the, government versus, uh, what should public? it be or what is it? <laughs> what should it be and what is it? Um, I, I can remember when I joined people saying it should be a third, a third, a third. Um, we are, where we were like 
10% is government annual funding. Wow. So, and the other 90 comes from? So it's a mix between uh, what's called earned revenue. So earned revenue would be your ticket sales, event rentals, memberships, and then contributed revenue, which is really on uh, donors. donations. Yeah. Um, we are, so we're fortunate, like our, our counselor is a huge, huge supporter. Uh, so that's been great. The city has been a big supporter. We actually, we used to be part of the city in the move from North York down to Queen West. It was actually, um, it was under the city umbrella. Uh, and then we became independent five years ago. And so, so, but the city's still really, uh, a really big sponsor or really big proponent of us. The, the federal government came in for 5.9 million. Uh, for the capital for the new building, so that was that was huge. Uh, and then there's different granting agencies, uh, both the province and the federal level, that we get funding from. But it's it's a it's a hustle, uh, and we're not the only ones under the same uh, having the same constraints on the government side. So, do you see yourself there long term, or is this sort of an inter- intermediate or short term thing, or have you even thought about that? I haven't thought about that. Yeah. Um, Happy to be there as long as I'll have me. That's great. So, so we usually like to um, to wrap up with a bit of uh, what we call rapid fire questions for you. Uh-huh. So this is unplanned. <laughs> no, we're, we're we're starting the rapid fire section yeah. of the uh, Toronto Under Construction. I would like to hear uh, Ben Myers give us a rapid fire in the radio. <laughs> your best vo- ra- radio voice rapid fire it's introduction. Funny. Someone someone commented on on Twitter that they they liked my my voice, which is which is funny because whenever anyone listens to their own voice, they. Just, they think it uh, sounds really weird. So, and my wife said when she started listening to the podcast that I was putting on a broadcaster voice. But, uh, anyways, let's 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 get it going. So you're gonna you're gonna start at number one and then number two. I'm gonna start off with the with the. You're t- supposed to be five like yeah five to ten words max on max, these responses. Max. The response so, five you, can be, yeah. you can be yeah, you can just say yes no yeah okay. we'll just we'll try to you can't say pass no, oh, no pass okay. if yeah. you say pass you have to do a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, coronavirus, topical topic. Will it, have an, it, will it have an impact on condo prices in Toronto? Yes. Will the Rail Deck Park happen in the next 20 years? Define happen. Will it be open to the public in 2040? 2040. Uh, I hope so. In 2000, they, they had the idea for Union Station, yeah. and it's still not done. So we're 20 years later. This is equally as big or bigger of a project this i'm sorry i'm screwing the rapid There's, fire up yeah, here sorry, no, I'm sorry. I, there, I, I i digress you don't so, have to answer <laughs> no I, well this is an interesting topic because i actually think that rail deck park to me is something that in 400 years someone will look back and say wow that was really smart i'm glad someone did that so i think it's one of the most important like from a civic perspective i think it's one of the most important projects for toronto if we can pull it off obviously it's insanely expensive uh, but if we can do it, it'd be great. I, uh, I struggle with the ability to find the funding for it. Yeah. Uh, and to think I of think what we could do with that funding otherwise in terms of affordable housing and transit and, and, you know, right. everything else that goes into this city, right? As opposed to a park that maybe someone in North York or Scarborough or Etobicoke just, just not going to have access to, right? Right. But at the same time, a lot of people downtown who are paying the same into the same pot of taxes aren't using the subway that's going to Scarborough. <laughs> that's <laughs> true. Good point. Okay. So on those two topically topical comments again, will the relief line 
get funding and open in the next 10 years? No. No chance? No. No, not in 10. You might do an EA in 10. Okay. 20 uh, years. No. Really? I, I give it 50. Seriously. That's, that's my guess. guess. 50 years. Yeah. I hope it's way sooner. I Obviously. I think, it, it, well, it comes back, I think transit is a leader, not a laggard. Uh, and so if the government can find ways to invest in it and DCs may be part of it, I'm not sure, but... I would re I sincerely hope that they can find the funding for it. It just we know how long it takes to do the EA and the construction of it. Um, like even to open that whole thing in twenty years, you probably have to start construction in eight. Okay, next question. Um, will Toronto get rid of single family zoning? I bet it will. I think it will. Uh, I think that would be won't be imminent, but I'm going to say five to ten years. Okay, um, on a larger scale, looking at funding again, talk to me about the pipeline. Pipeline gets bought, does it get funding, and does it get built, and do the protesters back off? <laughs> and do we build a refinery on the West Coast in BC in the next 20 years? That was like seven questions. Um, I know, but you're so smart, well, you can handle them. Pipeline will not get funded until oil gets back way up from what it is, so I think that's a huge challenge. Um, I've... I know there, there's obviously a lot of political issues, but I think I, I think for Canada, we need to find a way to... Because traditionally, we've been a resource-based country, right? So we're taking things out of the ground, selling it to others. Um, I think we need to move beyond that. But to do that, we need a lot of research and we need a lot of infrastructure funding, a la Relief Line and, and other types of infrastructure. Um, so I would love it if there were, but of course the oil market is where it is, but I'd love it if there was a way that we could get all the oil out, use those proceeds to then invest in whatever it is Canada is going to do next. And I think Canada really needs to have a strong vision of this is what our place is in the world and this is, this is why we are who we are and this is what we're offering the world and this is how the rest of the world can learn from us and pick one or two things and be an absolute leader in it and and really strike out to do that. Um, I think that's that's my gut of or my view of where we need to go. So um, great answer. Yeah. You should be a politician. Hey, I was thinking exactly Way think more politically correct. This is an amazing politician answer that he just than what I was there. gonna say. Uh, <laughs> All right. Will the NHL and NBA seasons resume? Will it be champions in those two leagues? I think there will be a playoff of some sort. There may not be anyone else in the stands. I think there will be a playoff, but I wouldn't be surprised if the regular season is canceled. You're wearing sneakers with a suit. <laughs> Does Dream allow that? And what's the yes. motivation behind this look? Well, it's not full suit. It's jeans and a blazer. It looks and the 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 Nike the green Nike swoosh on the on the Nikes matches the green socks with little teddy bears on them, which match <laughs> the green. Chinos, which match the green flowers on the shirt. I mean, this is an outfit, if I've ever seen an outfit. Well, well I, I knew I was coming to see you. I had to dress up. <laughs> um, is that appropriate a la Dream? Absolutely. Um, dream, I, there's days where I, I'll wear a double-breasted suit, and the next day I'll wear a velvet hoodie. So. Nice. nice. Now that I work on my own, like I, I like to wear sneakers every single day, so I wore boots today just to be a little more professional. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, okay, here's the next question. Will we see more bike lanes or subway lanes approved in 2020? That's oh, an easy question. You wrote this one. Come on. <laughs> That was a typo. I think Brad sent us that one. He's like, he's like, fire me a couple layups. <laughs> um, okay, please name the five people you hate the most in this industry. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If, if, the- if, uh, <laughs> if there were, uh, is there one person or, or two people that, uh, that you would look at and say, you know, this person's been a great mentor or really helped me? in my career that you would want to either uh, acknowledge or shout out or just sort of you appreciate their guidance through the last uh, 10 plus years? Yeah. Uh, so the two people that I've worked directly for that I would say are like, fin- like I've really learned a lot from and really got along well with are, so my current boss, Gord Wadley, uh, COO at Dream Office. He's he's great. He comes from the leasing side, which so I've learned a ton from him on on that. His approach with people is, I've, I've never seen anyone as good with people as him in my life. He was, he's amazing. Really, really like working with him. Uh, and back to what we were discussing earlier about how important it is to, to really like who you're working with. Uh, he's been incredible. Um, and the first person I worked for in the industry was Prakash David. Uh, he's, that was at Smart Centers. He, after Smart Centers, he went to Build Toronto, and then he was over in the, uh, I think he was over in Dubai, and then he was in Singapore, and now he's back in Toronto. Uh, he was, the, he was awesome. Uh, he definitely gave you all the free reign you needed, uh, let you learn on your own, let you make mistakes and learn from them as long as you didn't make the mistake again. There's no problem there. So he was really good in that regard. Um, and he also, he had a skill I've just never, I've never seen anyone else as good at this. He could walk into a meeting. Um, he, you would brief him for 30 seconds walking into the meeting. That, that would be what he knew of that topic going into the meeting. He could run a two hour meeting and everyone would leave the room thinking he had it completely under control and knew exactly what was going on. Um, he was, he was so good with, with that, like, Wow. Whether it was Impressive. municipal officials, politicians, uh, consultants, anyone, it was. Uh, it was. Are you still in touch impressive. with them? Yeah, I have lunch with them now and then. I should. Good reminder. I should probably yeah. reach out. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, we uh, we really appreciate doing this. I could, uh, I think, you know, Ben, speak for both of us. We could probably sit here for hours asking you questions. You're a wealth of knowledge, and it's it's very refreshing. You have a great perspective on uh, not only just this industry, but life in general. And uh, listen, this was great. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Ben, any closing remarks? Well, I say make sure to like and subscribe to Toronto Under Construction on your um, podcast. Absolutely. And don't forget... I appreciate the follows at the one Stevie C on Twitter. (laughs) At Ben Myers 29. And actually, before you go, if anyone wants to uh, get in touch with you, are you open to that? Do you have a Twitter, Instagram? Do you use any of that stuff? Or email? I don't really use the the social media anymore. Uh, Just fine. Too busy trying to block that out. Uh, But yeah, email. My dream account is bkeist at dream.ca. Beautiful. Perfect. All right. Thank you. We'll catch you next time. Adios.